The following program is a podcast1.com production. So glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. If you're looking for deals, check out ClarkDeals.com. You know it's not a deal? When dealers take advantage of you when you're buying a car, I have a special warning for you about an old, unsavory dealer practice that you must know when you go to buy a new or used car. That's in today's Clark Rage, just 20 minutes away. And coming up in a half hour, Americans generally are pessimistic about their kids' futures. I have new information for you that may help you relax just a little on that score. Things do change, though, all the time in our present and future. Things that were the way they were, you have to prepare for the way they're going to be. An example is retail stores closing all over the place. I talked about it recently, about gift cards, how careful you need to be buying anybody, either yourself or for someone else gift cards for any retail store because who knows who's going to be around next week with so many retail store failures. The reality is that America has been way, way, way overstored. We have far too many retail locations, too many shopping centers, too many branches of different chains. In fact, some data I saw recently on a real estate blog said that there's four times the amount of square footage of retail square footage in the United States per person than our neighbors to the north in Canada have. You're talking about two countries that share so much commonality that are both some of the world's wealthiest people and wealthiest countries, and the Canadians get by with one-fourth the square footage we get by with. We are absolutely overstored. So this trend of stores closing is going to continue. But there are always winners among the losers. You know, the big winners in retail, even in this environment with so many retail failures are stores that are meeting your needs with low prices. If you think about in women's clothing, which is a huge retail category where so many people are failing or ailing, retailers that specialize in low prices for women's clothing are thriving. Think about TJ Maxx or Marshalls just booming. Same company owns both those brands. And then outlet centers. I've never been a big fan of outlet centers, but they continue to thrive. And it seems that new, very sparkling outlet centers are opening up on the outskirts of every major market in the United States because people are looking to stretch every dollar and get value for every dollar, which is not necessarily the lowest price. 
but I just want you to be very, very careful with all the clearance sales that are going on at the failed stores. Know that a lot of the merchandise that is sold in liquidations is merchandise that never, ever, ever was in that retail store. There are certain very large liquidation specialists that bid on the what are known as the GOB business, going out of business sales. So they'll bid on a GOB when, let's say, a major retailer is closing hundreds of stores. So the liquidator will come in at an agreed-to date by contract, and then they are responsible for liquidating the merchandise that is still there and for running the entire GOB for that location. And they will bring in their own merchandise into that failed location. Remember, it could be an entire failed business or just a downsizing of an ailing business liquidating so many spots. And so when that GOB starts and they'll say, items up to 70% off, a lot of the merchandise being sold at huge markdowns is fake. By fake, it's stuff brought in just for that sale and never, ever resided inside that store. Shelby's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Shelby. Hi, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you, Shelby. Are you on speakerphone, by the way? Yes. Is that better? That is, I can't even tell you how much better that became. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. Okay. What's going on, Shelby? Um, Clark, I have a question for you. I looked into a work-at-home business, and I'm still kind of skeptical of them, but this one sounded pretty good. But when I went to look them up on the Better Business Bureau, I didn't find anything on them. They had no information at all. Well, that by itself would not tell you that something's a bad organization. And just because somebody has a good record with the Better Business Bureau doesn't mean they're good. But if somebody is listed on the Better Business Bureau and has a bad record, you can believe they're bad. So in your case, you've don't fit either of those categories being listed with the BBB. You're just not there at all. And the people you're looking at for a work-at-home opportunity, are they a clearinghouse or are they the actual people who provide you work? Um, They're the actual people. And what is it that has you worried? Um, Well, that was one that I didn't... I don't have really any way of seeing if they're legitimate i guess okay. that's what is question. what kind of work would you be doing if you worked for them um from what they described it would be just filling out spreadsheets microsoft spreadsheets sort of like data entry work and they would pay you according to how many you filled out there is no chance that i would believe that would be legit okay and uh do you so how much do they supposedly pay you for each spreadsheet you do? They said $15. Okay. And is there anything that you have to do for them up front? Now, the other thing about that was they wanted to charge me $85 for a background check. Right. Now, a background to- check in and of itself would not make someone a scam uh-huh. as uh working as an independent contractor kind of thing, working from your home. But 
I don't believe people are ever going to allow you without any true proper vetting and uh, special skill set to do spreadsheet work for them. I mean, right. Do now, you have do you have a finance or accounting background? Um, what they have offered was a um, I, I forget how many weeks. I think about it. Two. Weeks. Wait, wait, wait. So they're saying you come in off the street with no experience in accounting or finance. They're going to give you a two week course, and then you're doing spreadsheets. Right. Scam. 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 Okay. Wait, let's play something else for you. What kind of sound do you like? <laughs> Here, let's do this. Rat alert, rat alert. <laughs> no chance. We've gone from, well, that doesn't sound so right, to that doesn't sound like a great idea, to forget it. Okay. So I've got something that may help you. I, I'm not sure. You'll have to see if it will help you. Okay. I have a guide at ClarkHoward.com to... What we have best been able to determine are legitimate work at homes. Okay. And it's a popular thing on our website, and maybe you'll find something that you'd be happy with there. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you called me because the money you would have paid, I would be concerned that wouldn't be the last money they might try to get in your wallet for. Okay. All right, Clark. Thank you so, so much. Sure. Best to you. And... Oleg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You are, um, have just bought a new car. Uh, not just. I bought it two years ago. Oh, okay. But, yes, but I drive uh, a lot of miles, and uh, my uh, car warranty already expired. All right, because of the miles I drive. And I got an offer from extended warrant company, insurance company, that offers me another 100,000 miles for another five years. I am very nervous about you buying any extended service contract, extended warranty from anyone other than the manufacturer's brand of the vehicle you've got. Well, are you past miles where they will cover you exactly yes i passed miles and uh, unfortunately i didn't pay enough attention so the so, so once the manufacturer's it. warranty expires they say pass too late we're not interested that's right oh boy yes so what i did i called the dealership service department where i always take my car to and i gave them the name of the insurance company and they told me that they work with that insurance company, is that insurance company does uh, pay the bills. And what insurance company told me when I talked to representatives, they told me that uh, uh, that particular dealership, uh, they don't need pre-approval. Basically, whatever the dealership service department decides, that insurance company accepts and pays. Well, this is a, I see the name of the insurer. It's a huge insurance company. Is uh-huh. it their actual warranty, or are they supposedly backing a warranty written by another company? No, no, no. It's it's their warranty. Okay. I'm still terrified. I'm always terrified of any third-party warranty. You've done the right kind of homework, and if that insurer really is the issuer of it, you would have a much lower level of risk 
that they would just take your money and not provide the services they promised? Uh, that's what they claim to be. Um, uh, however, uh, oh, you'll know I, if you see the contract. Okay. The contract would be in the name of the actual insurance company itself if it is their product. If it's anything else other than the insurance company's name, then it's just another third-party warranty that supposedly is backed by an insurer, and that you cannot trust. How much is the warranty anyway? You know, they offer very nice deals. They offer uh, a 750 a year. $750 a year for, is there a mileage cap for that seven fifty? Uh, yes, it's uh, for five years, and it's 100,000 miles. Right, so you would pay $3,750 to buy five additional years, 100,000 miles, and it covers transmission and engine. According to what they sent to me, they cover uh, most of everything. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I, I think you got to really... Look at the contract itself, not the brochure they've sent you. I would find that almost impossible because you have a high-end luxury car with that many miles covered on it for that amount of money. That doesn't sound possible. Were you ever very good with the yo-yo? I was okay with one, but there's one yo-yo you never want to learn about in today's Clark Rageous Moment. Rip-offs. Outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. The FTC just fined another bunch of car dealers for engaging in what's known as spotting or the yo-yo. It's where you come in to buy a car and they say, you're approved for the financing. And so you sign the paperwork, you leave with the car, you show it to all your family and friends, And then, days or a week later, you get a call from the dealership saying, oh, that financing didn't go through. Well, the real dirt is the dealer knew from the get-go that you hadn't been approved for financing, but they want you committed to that vehicle. They want you to go show it to everybody and that you'll, no matter what they tell you next, that you'll just agree to it. So the yo-yo is about you going home in a car you really don't own, signing paperwork for a loan you really don't have, and then you come back in, and the new loan may be double, triple, quadruple the interest rate of what you were originally told. And so many people, because they've fallen in love with the car, don't want to look bad with family or friends or neighbors, sign the new paperwork and pay a massive interest rate on that loan. It is a despicable practice. It is a common one in the car business. Certainly not everybody does it. Don't want to lend that impression at all. But I want you to know how to protect yourself so many different ways. Never, 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 not ever go to buy a car without already having gotten approved for the money first. And... 100% of the time, the place to get that money is at a credit union. Credit unions offer the best deals on car loans. If you go in to apply for a loan at your credit union or one you join, 
and they tell you they can't make you a loan, that is important information and likely means you should not be in the car market right now because any loan you're going to be able to get is likely going to be an ugly loan with bad terms and very high interest. So do your work right. Always know you're good for the money. By the way, you go to the credit union, you get approved for the loan. If the car dealer can then offer you a better interest rate than your credit union, great. Get the loan at the car dealer. But the only way you have that power is because you went to the credit union first. If the car dealer later then says, oops, that financing didn't go through, you say, fine, here's my check from my credit union. Have a nice day. My name is Raven, professional wrestling superstar, world-class idiot, and raconteur extraordinaire. Join me for my new podcast, The Raven Effect. Every Monday here on the Jericho Network on Podcast One, we'll be covering current events and any and all topics that can be properly bantered. Download and listen to the show on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on iTunes. Quote The Raven, nevermore. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question, Clark.com slash ask. You want to follow me on Facebook? Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. It's come out of survey after survey that parents are convinced overwhelmingly that their kids are not going to have as good a life as they had. When I'm giving a speech and I am such a naturally optimistic person and I believe so much in the ability of human beings and also my faith in America. And so I'll always ask, how many of you believe your kids are going to have a better life than you've had? And like, no hands will go up. And I'll say, how many believe your kids are going to have a worse life than you? Every hand goes up. It drives me crazy. Don't give up on America and have faith in your kids. Because your kids have faith in themselves. New survey I read about in the New York Post says that three quarters, three quarters of college students believe they are going to do better financially than their parents. Now, believing isn't doing, but how about the stats? Do you know that the average income earned by college graduates, inflation-adjusted, is up by about 25% from where it was 50 years ago. Now, there are so many people that are convinced that life used to be so much better. So much better. But the reality is, people generally, especially with education, on average, are living significantly better. Now, I don't want to ignore the fact that education has become, overall, an enormous differentiator. And people without a lot of education 
have fallen behind. Typically, earning on an inflation-adjusted basis about 10% less than they did two generations ago. And that is not good. But the reality is opportunity still exists in the United States of America. And by the way, it doesn't have to be college. Stats often are collected specifically in terms of college, non-college, that kind of thing. But there are many, many trades and technical skills you can get that will lead to a very nice, lucrative living. But the key, whether it's college, technical school, trade school, whatever, education is essential and central to being successful overwhelmingly economically. So parents, do not assume that your kids are going to struggle. Your kids are capable of surprising you. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hey, Clark. Uh, I had a personal finance question for you. Well, uh, which, uh, and you called me. Come on. You could have found a better place to call, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd go to the, to the best source. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if that's it. me. How can uh, I help? I mean, just been thinking about which debt to pay off first. Uh, we have a car loan and a student loan. We also have a mortgage. But get your opinion on which one to pay off. So a car loan usually is not a high priority because a car loan has a set amount you have to pay every month. The loans usually are not for very long term, hopefully. And they, in this era, usually carry a pretty low interest rate. So let's deal with the car loan first because that's usually the first thing I'd eliminate. How long was your car loan initially and what interest rate do you have? It's uh, five years, 2.3. Yeah, so just pay that as agreed. Okay. So you said you have student loans. It's a small balance. It's less. It's about half of the car loan, though. Okay. And it, that's at 7%. Yes, okay. So see how I'm, I'm going through looking at things? So the, the student loan is three times the priority of the car loan just automatically because the interest rate is three times the interest rate. Even though it's in deferment, though? Well, do you need it in deferment? If you have the money, why leave it in deferment? Because uh, She's in school. Okay, so is it subsidized or unsubsidized? A portion of it is, so a portion of it is, is uh, accruing interest. So the portion that's accruing 7% interest would be right. very much to your advantage if you don't need the money and you have the resources to get rid of that unsubsidized loan debt. Okay. Is she going to need to borrow more money later to continue in school, or is this it on the borrowing? This is it. She's getting her PhD. If she goes beyond this, I'm done. Yeah, so definitely throw cash at the unsubsidized loan balance. Okay. Thank you, Clark. And the other thing you said, we didn't get to the third thing, was your mortgage, right? Sure. Okay. And what interest rate is it at? That is at 3.4, 15-year fixed we just refinanced. So that just stays just as it is. Don't prepay on that. Correct. 
So PhD, what's she getting her PhD in? Uh, human genetics. Oh, so she's a brainiac. Uh, yeah, not a lot of street smarts, though. Well, that's what you're there for, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have a brother who is absolutely brilliant, but uh, I would say that he also has a lot more of the academic area excellence than the everyday savvy street smarts. He would disagree with that, but I'd put him in that category too. Mort joins us now on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mort. How are you doing, Clark? Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. You have your son, the future doctor. Well, we kind of hope so. <laughs> well, that's a school I never could have gone to. I, I don't have the brain power to be a doctor. Yeah, I can't say I would either, to be honest with you. How can I be of help with your future medical student there? Look, looking for some advice. Um, I guess first and foremost, you know, he, he's, he's, he's not sold completely whether he'd like to be an MD or maybe pursue a, a PA. We understand that the PA programs roughly are about 80000 for the 27-month version. And med school here in Connecticut at the University of Connecticut where he attends would be uh, 140000 for four years. Um, let me get your advice on what you think the future leads for PAs and MDs, and then secondly, how to pay for it. Well, the future for PAs is extremely bright. Uh, PAs and their, I, I guess I'd call them their rivals, the nurse practitioners, NPs, have a solid career path in front of them because of the severe shortage we have of primary care doctors in the United States. It's only looking worse as you look through the, the rest of this decade and certainly in the next decade. So it is, it is a schooling that would pay off without doubt. A medical degree is a completely different thing because the time commitment is so much longer. Because you said four years, but medical school, four years is the floor not the Correct. ceiling, because after that you have internship, then you have residency, and today because the overwhelming number of people who go to medical school then choose to do a specialization, that there's then even more schooling after that, or uh, quasi-education while you work and you learn after that. So one of them, you can be out practicing in roughly three years, approximately. The yeah, other, yeah, yeah, yeah. you may be talking 10 years. So it's a lifestyle question, and it's a personal question as well. I do have a third path that I can mention to you that might appeal to your son. Maybe not. And that is something I mentioned briefly a second ago, and that's nurse practitioner school. Because if your son did go that path, there would be more years in school than what we were talking about with the PA. But then someone who becomes an NP has the option of going an additional step to be a DNP. Uh, There are a number of doctor and nurse practitioner programs around the country, and you end up in school substantially a smaller number of years than many people do go the medical path more years than the PA, but with a career track and an income 
the trends kind of between the two. And there may not, in Connecticut, there may not be a DNP program that he could go into, but maybe University of Connecticut has one of those. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. Um, the second question would be, once we cho- once he, you know, he chooses a, a path, what would, um, ha- in a case we've been fortunate that we've been able to cover his undergrad, but as far as paying for um, after that, we're going to have to do loans. And what is the... Um, like how much will 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 uh, can you can you borrow? He can yeah. borrow uh, for graduate and professional school. Your son can borrow essentially an unlimited sum of money. He can borrow in the hundreds of thousands of dollars if he needed to or wanted to. Not that I'm recommending that, <laughs> but uh, he has under the federal program a blank check that he can do a borrowing. Okay, and would you, what, what kind of uh, lender would you approach? You go directly to and borrow directly from the federal government. Okay, and how would we find out that? How do you know? Is that something that? The oh yeah, if you go to, to if you go to ed.gov, 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 okay. and go to uh, the federal student loan program, and then there's a, a huge section with all different topic areas covered for borrowers. Great. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate that. And good luck to him. Whatever decision he makes, all three career paths would be great. It's just a matter of how long he wants to be in school, and would he would he stick to one of the longer programs, more likely to stick to one of the shorter ones. I mean, he's got personal decisions to make here more than the financial, at least at the front end. Follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm great, Clark. How are you? Great. Now, uh, asking somebody how they're doing is very important with the question you're about to ask me. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm approaching uh, full retirement age in August, about six months from now. And I feel I've been paying for disability insurance to cover my income for what feels like decades. Uh, I feel like I don't need it anymore. When, when do I get rid of it? Do I get rid of it? And uh, what's the reasoning there? Well, first, don't be disappointed you paid for disability insurance for decades and didn't end up disabled. That's good. It is good. Yeah, because... Most people never, ever consider disability insurance. Or if they have it, they may get it from an employer. They change the jobs. They go uncovered. And during your working lifetime, you had a a roughly three times greater chance of being disabled than you ever had of dying during your key working years. At this point, if the whole purpose of the disability insurance was replacement of income when you couldn't engage in your work or profession you're now retired dump it all right no need to pay those premiums well i'll be uh signing up for social security in august but i don't feel like i'll need it between now and then so go ahead. well, well i would i would um okay that having been said i'd at least keep it in place through the point that you're not working okay and the argument to be made the other way is that you 
there are people that would say, but you'll have more expenses if you suffered a significant disability. But the whole idea of disability insurance is what you covered. And once you're retired, I'm with you. I dump the thing. Well, I'm going to continue to work, not because I have to, because I want to. And uh, I, I don't I don't need it. If there's no what's referred to to as insurable need, if you don't need the money to provide for your life or that of your family. No, I don't. Then can it? Can it now, right? Yeah. I believe I will. Well, that sounds like great advice, Clark, and thank you for all your uh, efforts over the years and over the decades. We really appreciate it out here. Well, you're kind to say that, and I hope you have a great time in semi-retirement. Thanks so much. Okay. Thomas is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Thomas. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Thomas. How can I serve you? Well, first off, I just want to say thank you, and I'm elated to be speaking with you today. Well, you're kind to say that. Thank you. So I recently applied for a credit card, and um, the credit card company is asking me to send them some documentation I'm not very comfortable with, actually mail it to them. Uh, Specifically, they want my Social Security card the front and back, um, mailed to them to a P.O. box. I don't feel very comfortable doing this. And I found this credit card, uh, both recommended on your website as well as Credit Karma, and I have a very high credit score, so I was just interested in seeing maybe some of the reasons, the rationale why they would need me to send this kind of information. All right. The reason they want that creepy, scary info from you is for whatever reason, when they pulled up credit on you, when you did the application for the card, there was something that made them worried that you were an imposter. Understood. So there may be, did you move in the last few years, anything like that? Indeed. That's exactly what I thought it might be. Uh, my wife and I just got married uh, back in May, so uh, I moved in to a place with her. Uh, That's your answer. Knew. So I would feel okay sending in the, the very creepy information they've asked for because all they're trying to do is make sure you really are who you say you are, which is to protect them, but only as an afterthought does it protect you, too. So I would do it. Understood. They mentioned that they keep it uh, under lock and key for seven years. So once again, that did put a little bit of apprehension. Yeah, but our information can end up floating around so many places. This is this is a legit thing. You applied for the card. It's a legit card. And I would feel comfortable sending in the stuff. Great. That's all I needed. Okay. So when your identity gets stolen, you call me back and say, it's my (laughs) fault. I ruined it for you. Hopefully not. Hey, this is Roxy Diaz. And this is Nina Parker. Now, we are two pop culture veterans who love nothing more than talking about the latest trending topics. Now, we're talking about everything. The relationships, music, celebrities. And maybe the banana pics I get in my DM. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We're talking about everything. All right. Now, you get to join us every week on our new podcast, Little Black Dress with Roxy and Nina. Check out new episodes on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on iTunes. Guys, it's the Little Black Dress because every Every woman has has one. It's great having you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. Coming up in a half hour, buying a store brand versus a premium brand name. What are you getting when you spend much less money? Well, 
The courts are arguing about that right now. I want to tell you how you end up the winner. Clark.com is our website. You have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. There's something we've updated recently on clark.com that has been a very popular item. And so I want to tell you that this information is available and to put it to use in your life. If you use an iPhone, the big problem with an iPhone is that Apple does not allow you to put in a micro SD card, which allows you to very easily expand the storage in the phone. So without the ability to expand the storage, you are stuck with the 16, 32, 64, 128 gigs of storage you buy whatever amount it is you buy and you can run out and i think about how often someone will be getting ready to take a picture with their iphone and they say oh i can't take it i got to delete something got to get something out of here because i got to take the picture the obvious answer is that apple should allow micro sds for storage in their phones but It's their business. They can choose to do what they wish. But it's really easy for you to free up enormous amounts of space on your iPhone and do it for free. And the irony is that one of Apple's arch enemies, they don't look at themselves as Apple's enemy, but Apple looks at them as an enemy, that's Google has been offering a number of things to make it much easier for you to own an iPhone. Think how ironic that is. Here Google sells its own, has its own operating system, Android, that I'm sure they prefer for you to use, but they do things to make it easier for people who love iPhones to continue to use them. Number one on the list, and we have a lot on our guide at Clark.com, is Google Photos. Google Photos allows unlimited storage for life, for free, for your photos. And depending on how much you let Google do, I use Google Photos, and it's really funny because Google, because I let them do so much, has such incredible cataloging of things like i love to travel a lot and i can go through and they've got all these albums of trips i've taken where they automatically catalog them based on where i've been and then a people i can go look at pictures specifically of any of my family members and there'll be a whole picture guide to my family members or close friends or anything like that are right on here. You can even select people who you want Google to track for you, all for free. And so if you do download Google Photos to your iPhone, you want to get rid of all those pictures taking up space on your iPhone. And all you do is with Google Photos, select the setting, free up space, 
And once Google Photos has it in its cloud storage, you have it absolutely there and you can free up the space and it will do so automatically for you on your iPhone. That will have more effect than anything else. Now, some people hate using Google for anything. So, Joel, you have an alternative for the pictures you want to talk about. Yeah, I like. I personally like to use Flickr. I like Google as well, but I kind of like having my photos just knowing that they're going to uh, be backed up to two services just in case. You never know what happens. And so I use Flickr and Google to try to... And Flickr is not unlimited free, but it allows an enormous number of pictures to be stored. Is it... Like a terabyte or something? Yeah, that's right. A free terabyte. Which, which is, how many zillion pictures is a terabyte? A thousand gigabytes, which I would imagine would be hundreds of thousands of photos, but I'm not 100% sure. And um, so if you're an Apple person, you may be saying, why aren't I talking about iCloud? Because iCloud is a fortune. Is a fortune. So if you're cheap like me, but you want to use an iPhone then you want to use one of these alternatives. But those are just two of the things you can do. We've got, again, a list for you, how to free up space on your iPhone and get it to work so much better for you. Tim is with us. Tim, you have a question about the piece of trash fake Visa or fake MasterCard. Is that right? That is correct. So you're faced with a dilemma with a piece of trash, fake Visa or fake MasterCard. Tell me how that relates to you being with an online bank. Sure, sure. And also, Clark, just want to let you know that my wife and I, we've been listening to you for about two years, really like the apps that you guys developed. In fact, we listen almost exclusively through the podcast, so so much so that our kids even know your name now. So um, really enjoy it. Well, it's funny because the thing that, Kids around the country will come up and say to me, who know me from television, not from radio, they come up and they say, I'm Clark Howard, because all my pieces around the country all end with my tagline, I'm Clark Howard, and they they come up and quote that to me. So it'll be interesting to see with your young kids, is it is it parent or child abuse when you make kids listen to me when they're young? <laughs> what lines What lines they'll quote back? <laughs> they just they just know your name. That's that's for sure, and they they enjoy it. Well, I'm glad about that. So they, um, yeah, I so my my wife and I we've been listening to you for a while and hearing about the online banks and the better rates that they paid. And we have a local credit union, so we we don't use one of the the monster banks, but we have a local credit union. But they're they're only open. Um, they're not even open on Mondays. They're open just for a couple hours on Saturdays, and occasionally. You know, we'll need some cash, and so we we opened up an on, through an online bank to get a higher interest rate on our savings. Um, but you know, we would like to have the ability to get cash on a more flexible basis than what our credit union is offering. And so you know, we got a debit card through the online bank, but as I've been listening to you more, been wondering, is it really worth, you know, the risk yes. of... Yes, okay. and... Many times with a bank, with the ATM card that also doubles as a Visa or MasterCard, there is a procedure where if you sign into your account, you can lower the maximum amount that the card can be used for 
for shopping. Okay. And with many issuers, you can actually lower that to zero, which is the equivalent of turning your Visa or MasterCard debit card back into solely an ATM card, even though it would have a Visa or MasterCard logo on it. So, so even though they said they couldn't turn off the POS, in essence, um, the point of sale, I could basically do that by lowering the amount? Exactly. Now, Perfect. they don't have to have an option for you to do that at the online bank you're using. But if okay. they do offer that option, that gets you to the same thing as saying, hey, I just want an ATM card. And more and more banks are becoming downright hostile to issuing just a plain old atm card because they make enormous profits whenever you use that as if it is a visa or mastercard where you don't punch in a pen and you use it at a retailer or a restaurant it's a huge profit for the bank and a terrible terrible burden on a retailer or a restaurant so if you lower that floor to z or the ceiling to zero or even if you lower it low enough that nobody could really do you significant harm that would be great perfect now the other thing you could do is if you do most of what you do at the credit union and you use the online bank just as a place to earn interest a better rate of interest on your savings and you use it to get money out of an atm when you need it it would be a low transaction account that you could pretty easily monitor. And you have access to a number of ATMs you can use fee-free, don't you? Correct. Yeah, it's actually free at any ATM. And they also offer free checks, which are credit union that make us pay for those. Well, you know, everything's a calculated risk. So you have to decide how much of a, of a hassle you're willing to deal with if your card ends up compromised. But again, if you have the ability to lower the transactions allowed to a reasonable amount or zero, then you can rest completely easy. Wonderful. And I'm so glad that you have enjoyed the podcast over these last couple of years and that you're brainwashing your kids from a very young age. Alexis is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Alexis. How are you? Hi, Mr. Howard. How are you? Good, but please call me Clark. Oh, hi, Clark. Thank you. How can I serve you? Well, um, I'm 31 years old, and I'm looking into investing in my future, specifically retirement. Um, and some people have recommended that I open a, a Roth, um, which I've opened a, a Roth IRA, and I'm already invested with my company, um, uh, with a 403B. I'm so glad you're doing that stuff. Yes. And so I have $1,500, um, and I was wondering, should I invest it all into the Roth, or um, should I spread it out um, over several areas? And what other kind of areas would you put money in besides putting it in the Roth? Um, well, I have, um, I was thinking about stocks. Well, you know, the the Roth can is so easy as a way to put money aside, and you can put individual stocks inside a Roth IRA, but uh-huh. that's probably more work than you need to do. 
Okay. The Roth that you've already opened, what kind of things are you investing in? Well, I just opened it, and it's a retirement uh, Roth that they invest in in several mutual funds. Okay. I think that's fine to be in traditional mutual funds. I have some information that might help you on my beginner investment guide that I have at ClarkHoward.com. Okay. Where I can explain to you what kind of choices work best with a Roth account. But okay. yeah, doing the Roth, as much money as you can do in the Roth, generally will be better than you doing a 403B plan. Wow. Because the 403B, unless your 403B plan provider is a company called TIA CREF, T I A A CREF, most yes. 403B plans are very, very expensive they have very very high fees that you have to pay oh okay and so do you have any kind of match in your 403b yes i do so you want to be in the 403b up to the match but beyond that i would put your 1500 and anything else you want to put in in your roth because that's the best most efficient place for you to have money to grow for you tax-free and ultimately be spent tax-free but definitely in the 403b get in as much money as you need to to get that full employer match and again look at my investment guide at clarkhoward.com i think it'll help you with some of the questions you have charles is with us on the clark howard show charles you have a question for me about wondering if a digital camera that you see could be too good a deal what's the scoop yeah, that's correct, Clark, and uh, thanks for uh, taking the call. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, the you know I see them online, and I, I see where they note that they're imported, and and um, but then you see the same camera, of course, in some of the big box box stores. But they're you know some of these ones that that do say that their imports are very heavily discounted. So it's just, but they do state sometimes that they carry all the you know manufacturers' U.S. warranties and as such so i'm just wondering what the the, real deal is let me explain gray market to you when you buy particularly to been like the flagship of the gray market so when you see one of those websites that offers to sell a fancy uh digital uh dsl i mean slr camera let's get the initials right and they're selling you a digital slr at usually about 20 percent less than the cheapest discount store you can find it in. Is that about right? Um, Yeah, yeah, in most cases. So they are what are called gray market diverters. When I'm a camera company or most kind of electronics, cameras end up front and center in this because they're small enough to move around the world pretty easily. I set different prices based on local market conditions. So I may sell that SLR in India for half of what the same SLR sells for in the U.S. or Canada. I may sell it in Indonesia for 60% less than I sell it in London. So what happens is you can buy it from one of these diverters, but it will come without a U.S. warranty. They'll call it like a global warranty or whatever. The problem is, is if that camera breaks, you would literally have to ship it outside the United States, maybe to Hong Kong, Beijing, 
uh, Jakarta, wherever, to have the warranty work done. And so that is the risk, that's the danger, is that you're playing a game of odds. What is the chance that the camera is going to break? And so you're the one who has to make that call. I would make it based on historical, your experience with cameras. How often do they croak? Hey, everyone. I'm Maggie McGrath, a staff writer at Forbes magazine and your new host for a show called Forbes on Trump. Politicians are all talk, no action. I'll be speaking with the editors and writers who are reporting on the 45th president. We'll hear what they're finding out about his wealth, his business associates, and the ways in which he and his policies are affecting the economy, consumers, and all aspects of the business world. Somebody has to come out and tell it like it is. Along the way, we'll dive into Forbes archives, which contain decades of information that will add context to the current White House administration. So listen to this. Listen to this. That's Forbes on Trump on Podcast One. Subscribe now at iTunes, and don't forget to rate, review, and share. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You want deals? Check out ClarkDeals.com, and Clark.com is our website. There is a deal that has caused a frenzy that I have been laughing about from when I first talked about it on the show last year. Costco Wholesale started selling Kirkland Signature golf balls. If you're not familiar, golf balls are ridiculously expensive. Unbelievably expensive. And people who are golfers, typically will pay three and a half dollars a golf ball. So Costco, with its private label called Kirkland Signature, comes out with a golf ball at a little more than a dollar a ball. But people that are really into golf, they're going to turn their noses up at something like that. But somehow, some way, it became a thing among golfers that the Kirkland Signature golf ball from Costco was superior to any of the traditional expensive premium price golf balls that people were buying. And it got so crazy that when Costco stores had a run on them and sold out, people were taking the Costco balls and selling them on eBay above what the super premium ones cost of the brand names because people were convinced that they would play a better golf game with the Kirkland Signature than they would play with the traditional brand name. So now Costco is in an ugly fight with Titleist. Titleist is one of the brand names who alleges that it has been hurt by Costco selling the Kirkland Signature. And the reason they say they're hurt is Costco always says this. Kirkland Signature meets or exceeds the quality standards of leading national brands. So the folks at Titleist say, you're lying to people. You couldn't possibly be meeting or exceeding the standards we do. 
and was threatening Costco. So now Costco has filed suit against them saying, get lost. The winner in all this are golfers, but everybody else too. You know, when I, in my TV work, when I interviewed last year the CEO of Costco, and I asked him, how does something become a Kirkland signature item? I'm sure he said stuff that that their people were like, I can't believe he's talking about this. Because most of the items sold as Kirkland Signature aren't similar to the national brand sitting next to them. They are the national brand sitting next to them. They are identical. If you know that line from the movie long ago. Anyway... They are the same with a different badge put on them, Kirkland Signature instead of the brand name. There are some products that Costco has to go source from someone else, like the golf balls. And so the reality is, with a Kirkland Signature item, the public decides. As an example, we do not use Kirkland Signature toilet paper in our house. We don't think it's as good as some of the national brands. But you decide item by item. Remember, when you buy private label goods from anybody, most of the time they truly do what they say. They meet or exceed the national brand at pretty much any retailer that sells private label. You as a consumer can decide if you were happy with that store brand or not. The beauty is if you're happy with it, you keep buying it. If you're not, you buy the national brand after that. Deborah's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Deborah. How are you? Hi, Clark. I'm fine. How are you? Good, thank you. You have a question for me about paying the power company. Yes, I do. My husband and I um, bought a house about six months ago, and... Um, he set us up on the budget billing program with the electric company. And right now it's nice and cool down here in Florida, so our electric bill isn't very high, but we have to pay a, you know, a little bit higher bill in order to be on this budget program, and it's supposed to even itself out in the hotter months when we have to run our AC all the time. And I was just wondering if you thought that that was a good idea or does the electric electric company rip you off doing this or what are your thoughts most of the state programs that permit budget billing don't cause you any harm that they're really about you being able to do just what they call for that that you're in a position where you don't have to worry about bill shock in july august and september in florida where the electricity bill with the air conditioning running seemingly around the clock where the electricity bill can get to be a monster. So I don't have a problem with it at all if being you being able to make the payment would be a burden on you. On the other hand, if it's not an issue of being able to afford making the payment, I think it's better to have the real bill hit you in the face every month because it might make you uh, might create some behavior modification during the summer if the june bill comes and it's as much as your mortgage that before that july bill comes 
maybe you've dialed back the thermostat some or decided to uh, slap some insulation in your house, change out some lights to LEDs, whatever. I think that, that it's a good market discipline to get the real bill if you can afford it. Okay. So which is it in your household? Um, we, we can afford it either way, but my husband likes the idea that it's going to be more of a level bill every month rather than up and down and up and down. Well, so you're the boss in the household, right? <laughs> That's what I keep trying to tell him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so dump the, ba- the budget bill in your case. Jane's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Jane, you have something that sticks to you like tar. I don't yes. even know what that expression means. I just know that it fits your question. Yeah, um, my husband has actually a timeshare that he bought before we got married, and it was in his name only, but we've never even been there, and he keeps getting a bill every January for this, and it's like anywhere from seven to $800. So and he's paid for it in full. Now it's just that open wound of the rip-off maintenance fees that show up once a year. Right. So, so I want you to think about something that I just want other people to hear. So you pay seven to $800 in maintenance fees for a week in this place. Right. So, so if you divide that out, that's over $100 a night. That is just absolutely a complete ripoff because it's for a place he's already paid for and it's like you're having to pay for it again, and you don't have a choice. Right. Yeah, Is there, there any way to get rid of it? I've heard that you can sell it, but it's really hard, and you might have to pay money just to get somebody to sell it for you. No, well, those are scams. Don't, okay. don't believe anything where somebody says that pay me this fee, and we're going to market your property, and we're going to sell it for all these great prices and all that, that is a big, fat con job. So okay. I'm just going to lay it straight out for you, okay? Okay. With timeshares, for every every single seller buyer, there may be 100,000 sellers. There was once a time they used to say there were 1,000 sellers for each buyer. Now I would bet you it's 100,000. The timeshare is almost unsellable. And people now will pay somebody to take over their timeshare. They'll actually write them a check say, where someone will take over responsibility. That's how tough it is to sell a timeshare. Now, I do have a way you can at least list it at no cost. There's a website called Vacatia, vacatia.com, V-A-C-A-T-I-A. Okay. But you and is do you think your husband's prepared for the fact that he may get nothing for this place? Yes. Okay. So he that means psychologically you've crossed that threshold. But I'll tell you what I would love even more. While you're trying to sell it, why don't you go use it? Why I you, know. <laughs> why don't you go for a week? I mean, you're already it's an obligation. You're already stuck with it. You're already paying for it. It's a miserable thing having to pay for something you don't use, at least go go use it and get some value out of that seven to $800 you're having to throw down a rat hole. 
Yeah, we've been talking about it, but it's never the right time. <laughs> so, well, okay. timeshares are a defective thing. They they have no value in the marketplace, and I'm really sorry you're stuck with it. So that's why I want you, if you can rearrange your schedule to make the best of it, or even trade it to use somewhere else, do that, or give it to a friend to go use the week so somebody gets some pleasure from it. Uh-huh. But at the very least, go look at vacation, and you can go look at what people are saying about the very place your husband owns a week at the Timeshare Users Group. I'm going to give you a weirdo address to go to, Jane, to look at it. Timeshare Users Group is TUG, T-U-G, then the number two, just TUG2.net, TUG2.net, and go look at his property and see if there's anybody out there poking around who might be interested in his week. Shirley is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Shirley. How are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. It's good to be on. Well, how can I be of service to you today? Okay, Clark. So I've been um, looking at your investment guide, and I have a question about index funds. So I would like to start using index funds for my 401k, and so... How do I know? You have a list of um, uh, funds there. How do I know which ones to choose? And then if I choose that, is that it for the next 20 years, or do I need to choose new ones every year, or how does that work? Well, that is a great question. So let's deal with it uh, from easy on up. Using an Uh index fund is fine unless you want to just set and forget, and an index fund would still be okay. But what I really love for you to look at, if you want to set and forget, is a target retirement fund, usually that will be a fund of index funds, where the mix of investments changes as you get older. So I don't know if you saw that on my investment guide. I I did. I did. And I I think I I want to do the intermediate. Um, I think I'm a little past the um, the target. I have I do have some things in that, but there's a little other bit of money that I'd like to try to use your intermediate so, side. So if I was thinking in terms of what the next step up would be and you're looking at indexes, you could do absolutely fine with basically four index funds, with your largest holding being in a total or broad market index fund that owns little pieces of thousands of companies and that you know that's Mm -hmm. the base that so many people use some people would go simpler and just do a 500 index fund where you own little pieces of the 500 largest companies i like going a little further out and go with the things usually referred to as total stock market indexes and make that as much as half of where your money goes okay and then the other three i like when you're looking at a mix, is that you do an international index that is generally going to be Europe, Japan, Australia. So it's first world kind of places are usually what will be in an international index and maybe make that 25% of what you do, where the broad market U.S. would be 50, the international would be 25. And then, and by the way, I should point out, this is just broad, broad, broad guidance as an overall kind of uh, picture window for somebody trying to build 
uh, series of index funds into a portfolio. Okay. And so it could be different from each person's situation depending on what's going on with them, how far they are with, from retirement and that kind of thing. But then the next thing would be roughly 15% in a third world fund. Uh, they might call it a developing market fund. And so the greatest economic growth is going to happen in third world countries, but they're, they're more up and down. They're more volatile. So that's why 15% is a good number in that. And then the final 10% in a bond market index fund. So if you were to do a portfolio of those four things and you're in that phase of your life where you're just trying to make money grow, that would be a good... I'm about five years from retirement. That would be way too risky five years out. That's why I said like two-thirds of the way through, it's got to fit your situation. That would be mm-hmm. too high a level of risk for you, what I just painted. What I, okay. t- what I was talking about with the four index funds is much more geared towards somebody who's in the years where they've got a lot of work in front of them, a lot of time for money to grow, and having just four index funds would be right. What do you have to live on besides what you would be saving and investing in whatever investments you do now? I would work part-time, and I do have a um, retirement. So you have a a pension of some kind? Correct. And will that pension Uh cover most or all of your living costs when you choose to retire, that plus the part-time work? Perhaps half. Only half. Yes, and then in a a few years, I think I'll take Social Security at about 67 or so. And then with Social Security, the pension, and the part-time work, would that cover everything you need? It would. So then I'm not as nervous about you going in the kind of mix of funds that I referred to. The reason I'm not as nervous about that is then your goal still is accumulating money for much later in retirement when you're going to need to draw on it. So I stand somewhat corrected in your case though i would take the bond exposure up to maybe 30 percent and reduce in turn the ratio of the other things but again if that gets too complicated for you step back and just do a target retirement fund with a retirement target date maybe in 2025 Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. And it's coming to Podcast One in just a few weeks. So keep your eyes and ears open for Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. 
but the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, they never seemed to speak back to you. It was just like kept themselves to themselves, and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.